our pay fraudish fans. We are across the pond, as I as we say, but not really across the pond. We're even farther than that. We have Christina Lakati <laughs> and I am beyond honored because she is amazing. And if you guys listen to OSINT Curious, you know how amazing she is. But um, we're going to start quickly with a little bit of a speed round because I can't wait to hear your answers to this. When you hear fraud, what do you think about? My God, straight up. (laughs) Hi, it's very nice to be here. When I think about fraud, I think about all these people that do not realize the damage they are causing when they lie and cheat on others. Oh, that is, you know what? That is so good because a lot of my guests are like, oh, cheating, but the damage to others. I, uh, yeah, so incredibly true. Um, Now, the next speed round is ethics. And I'm really interested to hear your perception because of your work in open source intelligence and cybersecurity. Ethics. Okay. This feels like a psychological test, you know, (laughs) there is this test where you tell your, your patient words and they have to tell you what they associate it with. It's very good. I didn't expect that. It's good. So when I think about ethics, I think about a moral code. It's not the same for everybody as I have seen, and there are different perceptions of it as it's very hard to define, but for me, ethics means that your the actions you take make sure that they don't harm another person, and that if you look at the big picture, whatever you are doing, you are doing it for good. For example, in social engineering, when we have to 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 do the fake scam, when we have to simulate an attack, we know that the person is going to get shocked, but it's like a vaccine. In the end of the day, you give them the shock. But in the big picture, you help them learn and protect themselves. And honestly, uh, we also employ a lot of empathy while working with others. So, yeah. Okay. So, Christina, um, you, your background is fascinating. Why don't you give the audience who doesn't know you, which I can't believe that anyone in this audience wouldn't know of you, sort of your elevator speech as to how you got to where you are? My God, I am pretty sure a lot of people will not know me. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still getting out there. I'm still exploring my steps. But yeah, um, my elevator pitch. I am a psychologist and a social engineer. I ended up in this industry because of my father, who bred me into this uh, job. Basically, he was a cybersecurity specialist as well. And uh, for the past eight years, I have been a trainer and consultant and a social engineer on all things social engineering, human firewall. But I have also been a lead investigator in open source intelligence projects that have to do with protecting high value targets and corporations from those little blind spots that put them at risk. And where are you located? In Munich, currently in Munich, Germany. And I, uh, I travel a lot in between Munich and Zurich but still work internationally. So I've gotten to see how different cultures approach the whole topic of security, physical security, social engineering. I need to introduce you if you don't know. Do you, are you familiar with Christian Hunt? He does the Human Risk podcast. I have heard about it, but I have to be honest, I need to catch up with my podcast. Let me keep a note. Okay. Now that Christmas is coming, 
I can finally catch up with listening to my podcast. Um, because he spends half his time in London and I believe the other half in Munich and he does the training really? back and forth and his podcast is excellent and you would be an amazing guest for him too. Here I am just sending you to all other podcasts too. <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't we all interconnected? So you called him Chris Hunter? Uh, Christian Hunt. Hunt. Christian yeah, Hunt. Okay, close enough. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so your father Thank was you. in this field. Was it, you said he dragged you in, but obviously, like, you know. <laughs> so my father had this uh, amazing ability to uh, transfer his knowledge in an extremely interesting way. So basically, I remember him when I was, what, five or six years old and he was reading as this actually sometimes he was reading a bedtime story other times he would just come and tell us basically what was happening at work but he always used those colorful words he, he was a storyteller i don't know he has a special talent so i was falling asleep to stories from uh, attack simulations and uh, whatever cybersecurity meant at the time and it sounded so interesting that I wouldn't fall asleep, first of all. So it was beating the purpose. <laughs> but I, it, it was also making me ask him a lot of questions during the day. And slowly, my dad more than happy to explain what he was learning. Also, partly because he wanted us to stay protected online. Uh, yeah, so he would just bring me along sometimes uh, to projects when it was possible and I would get to see everything pretty close. Oh my gosh. That makes me think of um, a TV show. Oh, in the wire. Did you ever watch the wire? Wow. No. <laughs> so the wire is about the Okay. I feel like uh, I don't know a lot of things right now, but I will check it out as well. The wire. There's a, a cop in the wire and he's out with his children one day um, and uh, he sees his target and, um, you know, but he's with his kid. And so it's just, like it's a fascinating little part of the, the wire was, you know, he takes his kid and he sees his target and he just can't help wow. himself from. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine it wasn't dangerous, but I can't imagine. Um, I mean, I used to go <laughs> with my dad to work on Saturday mornings um, when he catch up on reading and I get to play with typewriters and things like that. And it, it was a lot of fun and it was fun to see him. Yeah engaged. So I can imagine. Now you just had a really big um, uh, presentation, didn't you? Yes, I've had a couple of really big presentations recently, and I'm very grateful for that. Okay, so you um, do you want to talk about it was in Switzerland, wasn't it? Right, that was the Swiss Cyberstorm. It is one of the Actually, to me, it was one of the most interesting conferences I have been to, both because the, the lineup of speakers was uh, very insightful. So I, I, got to, I got to share what I know, but I also got to learn from others. And the audience as well, the people they were attracting were on such a good intellectual level that it felt like a mini university class. Oh, my gosh. Just talking so with them. Yeah. So, and you're a psychologist by training, aren't you? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And how does that, I, I think that gives you an edge to a lot of people because you know more maybe about human behavior you know, technically than say anecdotally than a lot of people in the cyberspace. Technically, yes. And that was also the goal from the start, if I'm honest. So as I told you, I was tagging along with my dad while he was working and some of his projects were involving the human element in some way. So I figured that I was pretty good at understanding people but I was also really curious about, okay, why is this working? What makes them tick? Um, how, how do social engineers like put all their, push all the right buttons, what's happening there? And then I decided to study psychology. It was more of a need than a want. I really needed to tap into this knowledge. I still, I think it's still not over. I still wanna keep learning. Uh, yeah, so I did a four-year degree in an American college. Oh, where'd you go? Uh, in Athens, you go? American College of Greece. Oh, okay. Yep. And I still have an accent, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I decided to, to take everything that I was learning there and apply it at work because I was working in parallel on little projects in the background with my dad and it made a lot of sense it, it is exactly what you said i noticed there was a lot of a lot of things that people in the industry were not taking into account when trying to deal with humans when trying to offer solutions and a big issue that i see still today so many years after is that okay we have technicians we have a lot of technicians and uh, cyber security professionals that are technical people which is good but they are they are they're being assigned to deal with humans on a behavioral level and i think that's unfair to everybody it's unfair to the people that spend a ton of time learning technology and how to Put, set good technical measures and unfair to the people that they are supposed to protect because they also don't know what's happening out there and how to deal with it either. And it's a well, behavioral you, problem. You mentioned empathy. And so you have a person who's sitting across a table from someone. And if you can't begin to understand how they got to that spot, you're, you're not going to help you're not going to help yourself in your investigation. You're not going yeah. to help them. And so, I mean, I've seen people who are technically incredibly proficient and they're just mm -hmm. like, well, I don't understand how that person could have done it. Like it's insane how that person could have done it. And it's like, you don't know what's going on in their life. And that's exactly the point. We need those uh, very technical people. Absolutely. But when they end up concluding, oh, I don't know how this person ended up taking that action. And then the next step becomes humans are the weakest link. No, you need to understand what's what made them operate that way, what made them behave that way in investigation or, you know, in when you try to secure your your humans within and outside the company. 
You need to understand them. Like you said, you need the empathy. You need to get in their shoes and think uh, what motivates them. What are the problems they face when they have to apply policies, cybersecurity policies or, you know, secure behaviors? Um, So I'm not a cybersecurity person. And I like to say I dabble in OSINT, but I don't have to use it all the time anymore, but I love it. I absolutely love it Mm. um, because (laughs) I love to understand what makes someone tick. Um, Yeah. But for the audience, because the audience is more fraud related, but cybersecurity and OSINT is so important. But I think a lot of people that are in the fraud sort of world as professionals, they're like, I don't have the technical chops to be able to make the transition to cybersecurity and or OSINT, what would you tell them are some of like the best resources besides following you on LinkedIn and X, <laughs> I guess we have to call it X. <laughs> oh, X, yes, I'm still always interchanging between Twitter, X, all the platforms. Oh, good resources for people that are not technical and want to tap into OSINT oh, and cybersecurity. Hmm. I would have to think about it a little bit, to be honest, because I get a, a whole rainfall of resources, but I don't know where somebody can start from. So let's let's break it down. So fraud professionals, they have to deal with fraud. They have to deal with scams um, and they have to deal with the information that make those scams possible. So there are... there. We used to have the OSINT Curious project that used to be a really good resource. The the blog posts are still out there and they help you kind of learn how to start to collect information and learn what information is valuable so that others can that others use against you in a fraudulent environment, in a scam, for example. You probably saw I wrote two blog posts on how open source intelligence is being used in social engineering attacks. The goal of those blog posts was first to um, get to show people in very easy, practical terms how to collect information on a target, but also how to show professionals that work against fraud, against the online crimes against uh, in in cybersecurity, what information is important for an attacker, for a scammer. So Um, you can uh, look at open source intelligence from an investigator's perspective, but you can use the same exact technique, techniques when you investigate fraud, when you investigate a scam to see how it all started and who had access to the information that was abused in the end. So I, don't know. I hope this makes sense. <laughs> no, and I will put links to OSINT Curious in the blog post in the show notes for this. Um, uh, Probably have more yeah, I'll, I'll resources, put it, I'll, but I have to think of them. <laughs> Besides going and getting a new dad who teaches. And see, I get to see Christina's bookshelf right now. And I see a lot of very similar books to um, what I have in my bookshelf. So, yeah. And I like your... Oh, she has a... Um, what is it? Bookend? <laughs> a bookend with it's a, a you know it's a, with a head. Yeah, I love that. That is so awesome. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think I first found you via Twitter X, whatever we call it. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons I'm having a hard time getting off of Twitter, I'm on Threads now, but 
getting off of Twitter is because there is such a vibrant community. For- That's right. So that would also be my first recommendation. I go on Twitter X whatever you call it right now, and connect with the community. But the thing is right now, the community has scattered around and everybody, like there are professionals that have a ton of resources to share. But after all the ownership changes, everybody scattered around a little bit. And now I'm thinking, like I have to ask myself, where are my people? Where are, where's my network at? And they are scattered. I know I don't like to post on yeah. Twitter because I I'm opposed to you know mm-hmm. the change in ownership and some of the mm-hmm. things most of the things he's done, um, but it's also the best place to get real time information. I mean, mm-hmm. spreads is good, but like I'm not finding a lot of people, and I had I had a great following. You have a great following on um, Twitter. And so it's hard to like rebuild that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. that's where I think I initially found you was the open source community on Twitter. Right. And now the open source community, which, okay, if you are in, if you are in fraud analysis investigations, I would absolutely suggest go on blue sky because a lot of the community has migrated there. And if anybody wants a code, please, and because you you still need an invitation code to join Blue Sky, I have a few available, so I'm happy to share them around. Reach out to me, Kelly, if you want them. If you want one, I, I'm on Blue Sky. Happy I got the invitation, but I haven't done anything yet. I need to do it. Maybe over the holidays, I'll start making an effort on Blue Sky. But like you said, let's not underestimate what uh, individuals that are known in the community have to share. There are, they are resources. People are resources. I can, if in regards uh, to people, I can recommend Micah Hoffman, my oh, number yeah. one. He's incredible and he shares. He started my OSIN training and there is a newsletter. I rely on newsletters right now to to catch up with uh, some of the news. I I recommend OSIN Geek, Samuel Lolagar. We also work together. Yeah. He's incredible in the German scene, number one, my number one in the German scene for sure. Um, We have the the OSIN newsletter, which is exactly what what you hear. Yeah. There's just so many. And I'm coming from a law enforcement background where you kept your sources close to you. Um, It took a while for me to realize I need to share. And Mm. um, and one of my favorite hashtags is sharing is caring. And I think that there is. People are not that. to hide their secret sauce. They're sharing it because you know what? Like the fact that I can reach out to you and, you know, granted, I will tell you, I was a little timid to reach out to you because you are, as we call, say it, a baller in the community. Um, <laughs> it, sometimes, you know, there's an intimidation factor. But when people are giving out the information, they want they want to share. Yeah, and, And you know what? And then someday that person who's like, you know, way up here, you think they're going to reach out to you and say, hey, I saw that, you know, you did this. Either I can help you or I need your help at this time. 
Mm-hmm. I love that you say sharing is caring because in the end, I bet you went to law enforcement because you wanted to help. You wanted to make sure others stay safe to some degree, at least. Uh, what you do, what you do right now is sharing is caring and we need to share information we yeah, need to share our knowledge of of what threats are out there so that others can know and protect themselves otherwise how are we going to do this whole security thing well and technology has changed how we do our job so much so much i couldn't do this job without linkedin I, I just right. I love LinkedIn. I couldn't do this job without LinkedIn. Um, but then also the technology. Look at you and I. It's uh, four in the afternoon for you. It's eight in the morning for me. Um, and we can do this via Zoom. I had to do a presentation the other day on GoToMeeting, and I was panicked because I hardly ever use GoToMeeting. Um, yeah, I would as well. <laughs> it all worked out, but there was some panics. <laughs> um, the technology has helped us so much, but then as far as cybersecurity, it's also hurt us so much. Don't you mm-hmm. think? 100%. I think we were not ready for the risks that came with it. And not only we were not ready, but companies were not ready. Our, a lot of people's lives rely on third-party companies, whether this is for their health data, um, you name it. Let's, let's not even start. But I don't think anybody was prepared for having to deal with this in a holistic way and not only on the technological on, on the technological space. Because yes, it's easy to employ. No, it's not easy. But let's say you can employ some technological barriers, but it's not enough anymore. We have technology and it's like, it's both online, but it also transcends offline to our physical sphere at this point. I don't even know where the barriers are anymore. Well, so I um, I had to get a shingle shot and um, mm. I went in and I thought it had been much longer since I had the first shot and they'd have to redo the, um, you know, course of it. And because of technology and medical records, they're like, no, you had it in 2019. So this is the second one. And I was like, cause I didn't keep track of it. I expected and nice. I health insurance. So that was wonderful. But then also as I was driving home, I heard, and you probably know this, but this was a big deal for me. Ransomware, there was a company, and I don't know the name of it, and I wouldn't say it anyway, but there was a company that had a ransomware, and they didn't, you know, they had a breach. They didn't notify, Mm -hmm. like they have to notify by law. They didn't notify. So the ransomware people went Mm -hmm. to the government and turned them in. Have you heard this? I read the messages. Yeah, it was okay. It, it was a unique moment in time, I feel, for cybersecurity and for, you know, for cybercrime, let's say. Uh, is it their way of holding us accountable? I wonder. Is it the way of cybercriminals to say, like, look, okay, I, I got you now. You have to pay, but I'm also going to make you... I will punish you on every level for your responsibility. I don't know. 
I hope this makes us more serious about cybersecurity breaches and about the value of data as well. Well, and I, I, I kind of want to say there's a human angle to that. Yes, of course, they're greedy. They did the breach. It's not good. But then is there a little part of them that's like these people that got breached, like the victims of it, not the company, they need to know. So is there is there a little psychological part that they're like, well, okay, we rip people off all the time by doing these breaches, but we're going to start letting people know. Is that, a? I mean, they're human. I wonder, so I wonder if they do this uh, so that they can speed up the payment process. I wonder if they do this so that they can have a, like a second level of exploitation towards their victims. For example, it's one thing to pay for your data, but then it's another thing to make me not report you, to keep this silent. Right. So I wonder if this, if they just try to exploit the situation on every possible level, or if um, if they have some sort of personal angle around it. I don't know. Also, different groups have different motives. Okay, so here's the question: that um, you're a woman in cybersecurity, and um, I know we, it's a tired old whatever, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an important conversation. And yeah. So besides being a, a, a woman professional in cybersecurity, how do you see the cybersecurity and I'm going to call them villains. What is there, <laughs> is there a breakdown by gender at all in cybersecurity villains? Do you, is it, I expect it to be mm. more male dominated, but that's from a totally, you know, uneducated point of view. You mean if we have female villains? Yes. Yeah, of course. Of course we do wherever. I, it's just like we have female killers and right. everybody expects a murderer to be a male, but of course every, every gender falls under that category. I think it's more about their personality traits and whether they are drawn to this type of activity than uh, than a gender thing. Of course, I believe the majority is male, but yeah, we see women as well. And the women are pretty good on, again, some the technical aspects for sure, depending on the woman, but then also the the human aspects, for example, I don't know if you've seen on YouTube those uh, videos from call centers, from the vishing call centers. Right. So these are centers that are located in certain countries and they operate as businesses and their business is to call phone numbers, people, and uh, tell them a certain story, which is really a scam. So these are the scam call centers. Uh, a lot of the callers are women. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm reaching down to get a book. Have you ah, read yes, book? my favorite. Oh, do you you love this? I have read it. Yeah, I really liked it. Oh my goodness, nice. Do you wanna yeah. say the title on Yeah, okay. The Number Go Up by Zeke Fox. I found him on Twitter. 
from awesome. like see so many yeah. resources on twitter <laughs> um i found him on twitter and immediately connected with him but he talks a lot in there he went to southeast asia and he went to these places where it's human trafficking i mean they tell these young lots women that you know you're gonna yeah. get this job you're gonna be able to help your family and then they get there and they're forced. It's it's forced labor. It's slavery. In so we're talking about that, organized crime. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I love that book. I just it was a page turner. Don't you think? I yeah, can't believe yeah, he yeah, yeah. The book before. Yeah, let's see if he's gonna if there's gonna be a follow up and next one. Good investigative work as well. So, but I like the fact that you point out that it can be really organized and it can it it can look like people have the choice to go and be at those centers but it can also be part of a of a blackmailing scheme for example or of a trafficking scheme like you mentioned and it gets pretty dark in these circles yeah okay so you're in europe but um i'm going to be very american centric right now and uh <laughs> so because i i teach a class on fraud and pop culture and one of my mm -hmm. um, uh have you watched the show lupin yep yes i have oh, finally there is so one thing good? you're <laughs> isn't it so good yeah. and there's a I lot like of yeah, it is social engineering. Basically, the man is playing with perceptions. He's uh, manipulating perceptions through and through. So, but if you also understand the underlying cognitive principles behind it, it gets even more interesting. For example, how perception works. We are not going. We we perceive a lot of things, but we don't uh, we don't spend cognitive power on analyzing them necessarily. So if our surroundings and the activity around us and the people blend with the environment and the social norm, then it doesn't stand out in our hands, and we won't necessarily notice something suspicious happening. And that's what looping does a lot. Or like. Also, the halo effect, how some people uh, assign certain qualities to us, like trustworthiness, education, success, based on how we look like. Yes. And I'm saying that while I'm sitting with a very random T-shirt in front of the camera. Well, we <laughs> very comfy at home. <laughs> After I'm you told alert. me what a baller in the community I am. And I <laughs> well, we only use the audio, not the video, because I'm yeah. in without shirt too because it's early but you in the know morning. between us <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no i loved lupin and um no yeah. spoilers but how it ended the most recent season how it ended it, again the psychological aspects of the whole yeah. entire story you can't just look at him and say he's a terrible person given his history but isn't that what you said earlier today that uh, you have to employ some empathy when you deal with humans and understand what brought them to that point. Okay. I mean, I have some, when it has to do with criminal activity, maybe I won't be that understanding of everything, but I think it's a good mental check when you empathize with Lupin, once you understand his story or with any villain once you understand his story. Like the Bat, I don't know if you have watched the Batman and oh. seen oh. the 
the story of the villain or Joker, the Joker. Oh, Batman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another oh, example. Yeah. The Joker. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think it's interesting for all of us to think what's happening right there once we understand what brought the person to create in a really bad, to create, to go, to behave in a very bad way. Yeah. And if, well, this is another reason that I love, I love to read books, both fiction and nonfiction. And then also to watch there's, you know, Hollywood loves fraud. They love, you know, not <laughs> only the documentaries, but they also do, you know, they fictionalize things. Um, if we don't have those shared experiences, if we, you know, if you only live in one town your whole entire life and you don't travel, you don't know how other people live and how other people get to where Think. they are. And, and oh, yeah. what I loved in Lupin was the, and it's again, it's not a spoiler, um, uh, the police officer, the mm. male police officer, and just like you could see what was going through his head and then how he felt like at some points, like he was so determined, but then he was like, oh my God, did I get taken? And mm. so- I really think Lupin is so good on so many levels because there is the social engineering, there is the empathy. Um, I, I just think it's one of the best shows out there. Doesn't it play a lot with that double standard? Like, I I, mean, I feel that they are walking on this very thin balance in a masterful way. Like, like the police officer, like you said, uh, trying to stay on the right side, but then also not really staying on the right side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or even in our own heads, like seeing something that is clearly theft and then say, understanding with the why. It is, I feel that yeah. we, we have to check with ourselves a little bit what's going on in our heads when we get to watch these stories and empathize with the criminal side of things. Let's, well, not, let, let's keep some boundaries still. Let's keep in mind the victims as well. Right. And, you know, there are good victims and bad victims. And Lupin has some bad victims. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Lupin has some bad victims. I feel that this is a very big philosophical question because Robin Hood had some bad victims as well. His whole idea was to steal from the rich and give it to the poor. But this is a this is ethics. Again, how do you go around ethics in this case? Uh like okay we don't have to question too many things because the law is very clear in all of our countries but it's just an interesting mind game to observe yeah um i assume that you are probably a fan of behavioral science behavioral economics just with the psychological background I'll show you one oh, book that i have oh, right here are oh, you ready for this yeah. oh i can't intense. wait you guys are so lucky Oh, my God. Oh, the Behavior Ops Manual. Oh, my God. That is huge. That That is is 1,100 pages. Oh, my goodness. Um, It's my Christmas read. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That is amazing. Um, This is like... Yeah. I have it uh, on my desk. I just look at it every day thinking Christmas is coming. I will have the time to read it. (laughs) um, So... 
when say these people are in these call centers, they don't see their victims. And in you know, thank you, you. <laughs> thank you for bringing this up. Go on. No, no, I want the the idea that that person that's in that call center would never be on a street walking down, seeing a grandma with a purse and grab that person run. They would never see themselves as doing that. But the distance allows them to do that. So tell tell the tell us more. You bring up such an important topic, such a huge aspect of how cybercrime happens. There have been interviews with uh, people that were cyber criminals and then either turned and became cybersecurity professionals or they went to jail and they decided to give interviews from there or they are still out there at large and still talk with journalists because they have a big ego that they need to satisfy. And most of them, when they are being questioned about this exact thing, they say basically what you mentioned, that once you are sitting behind the screen screen, and you don't see how your actions affect other people, it's like as if your actions don't affect other people, but you get paid nevertheless. So in the back of their heads, they realize that this is probably harming somebody, but they don't really get to see to what extent. And that that creates like a big distance between the action reaction distance is just too big. You don't see it. You don't get to experience it. You have a vague idea of how that could look like, but but then you know how our minds are and how we rationalize everything. So once you don't really see the effects of your action, you go into that protective mode of thinking that goes to something like, oh yeah, but um, I needed to earn some money for my family, or I have been taken advantage of my whole life from uh, from corporations. So now I'm taking advantage of them. And you don't see Bob from a county that got into huge trouble and his family because you targeted him specifically and the company didn't handle it well, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, I just that's thought the of this, thing. that yeah. it's like um, warfare has changed with drones. So you have someone yeah. controlling a drone in like North Dakota and they're assassinating someone in some other country and they don't, there's not, we're just, we're too far behind in this. Like the technology is too far ahead. Yeah. That's, that's why I said, I don't feel we were ready for these aspects of technology. So the drone, yes. Artificial intelligence. What about that? We are not ready. Uh, We are not prepared for what is coming up with voice cloning from video cloning, from all those way better crafted phishing emails that have already started being out there. but have you ever noticed that in human in humankind change takes a lot of time fundamentally to change a culture it takes a lot of time to change a system it takes a lot of time to change mindsets takes a lot of time and we we had just started getting somewhere with cybersecurity and boom we have so much more technology now to deal with so i was going to ask you 
because I, I play with um, chat GPT-4 and all that. And then mm-hmm. this past weekend, we've had all this drama with Sam Altman and OpenAI. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, now apparently he's back at OpenAI. Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't that I, announced today, I think? I think, okay, so yeah. the time I of think this recording, it, yeah. Yeah, I think it was announced today. And um, there's been people in the past who have kind of, one person in particular was silenced when they were talking about the concerns of AI, but the concerns of like, I have a thing with my children because my children are traveling these days um, Mm. that I worry that I'll get a phone call and we have a safe word. And if that safe word isn't said, I know it's fake. And no, I'm not telling the audience what my safe word is. <laughs> <laughs> but you are telling them to use a safe word. And I think this is one of the the best advice you can give. We had a safe word as kids with our dad. And uh, there wasn't even all that technology at the time. I think it's a wonderful tip to give to everyday people. Also, some companies are using that. But yeah, it's another topic. Uh, it's very effective because it's offline. It's something your your mama told you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's, if you're not an insider, you cannot know about it. If you are located in some other country at the call center, you're not going to think about it. But yeah. it's also a neat counterintelligence practice. And I think we're going to need more counterintelligence to deal with this type of threats. Well, and yeah, like when my daughter went off to Australia, I was like, okay. And we were joking about the safe word that like, okay, it has to be a word that you can use in regular language. Like it's not going to be pineapple. Like she's not going (laughs) to do pineapple. Like we were joking that it wasn't going to be pineapple. Um, But we, we thought about it. Like there was a process and, you know, my, my friends think I'm a little more paranoid than most, but I just had (laughs) someone on Twitter that I met on an airplane, send me um, a a video on TikTok about um, he's a politician, he's a lawyer, and he got the phone call that his son had hit someone in a car. He's in jail. <gasps> and it went on for about six minutes. Oh. And I mean, luckily, oh, he no. kind of slowed down. He was just getting ready to send the money. And the money amount was, gee, $9,000 because under the $10,000 currency reporting. So, you know, oh, if boy. someone asks you for under just a little under 10, that is what I would call a red flag. Um, but he... <laughs> He stopped it at the moment. And this is, I'm going to say, a very educated person. And yeah, because this presupposes you're also able to regulate yourself and your emotions. What about that? Right. Okay. So I don't do TikTok. Are you on TikTok? No, because I'm too paranoid for that as well, because of all the data collection that is going on. I'm just not going to enter that world. That's enough. (laughs) I know know it's been used as a resource at times for for cool little tips and tricks. Well, Kara Swisher, who I love, who's the Pivot podcast, Mm -hmm. and um, she will only do it on a burner phone. Mm -hmm. I understand. But wait, you're saying that you're a little bit more paranoid. I would definitely say I'm a little bit more paranoid than most as well. But 
in reality, it's also trying to navigate some pretty shady waters at time that makes you paranoid. And as we have seen, our close family is sometimes at some point going to have to face the same situation or a situation that is shady as well. So for example, my grandma received that phone call with the fake kidnapping. My grandma, who is 90 years old. Oh. So guess what happened? Her heart started racing. So I had talked, I had talked to her about it. She knew that this is a scam, but the moment you hear your son has been kidnapped and you hear a back voice saying, help mom, help me. Uh, yeah, sure. You get a shock. So my grandma started responding in the beginning and saying, Hey, uh, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. I am so happy. She didn't get a heart attack because her blood pressure got truly off out of the roof. So that's one danger there. That's something yeah. that call centers. I don't think, uh, consider when they call all their people, but yeah. thankfully, eventually during the call, she remembered everything I had talked to her about. And eventually she went like, I, I cannot hear you very well. You have to call me back. No, I cannot hear you. The signal is breaking. I don't, I cannot, I cannot reply. I don't hear what you're saying. And she hung up. So just so she can take a couple of moments to collect herself and think this over. 90 years old, like, come on, to have to go through that, it's killing me. Uh, and eventually she, she, she hung up the phone. She was able to call back her son realize everything is okay. And when the callers got called back, she didn't respond anymore. Yeah. But you really have to be able to stop yourself while you are into a pretty deep emotion at the time. And that's hard. Yeah. And you mentioned that you have been trying to advise your kids on how to navigate that space, how to have a code, code word. What else do you advise them? It's tricky. It is. And you know, the one thing like, okay, I don't know if your grandmother drives, but what if, what if, no, what, 90, what if no. Older, I, I know a 90 year old who drives, but um, what, oh, if that, what if that person, whatever age they are, gets in their car and races to go get gift cards or whatever. And because they're panicked and they literally physically, physiologically reacting to that, they get in a car accident and they hurt someone. Of course. Mm. Like, because we're not, we're not acting normal. I know if mm. I got a phone call I, and I had to do something, I'd get in my car and I would race somewhere. And that's yeah. when also something else can happen. So it is that slowing down and humans just, we lean towards action. Yeah. We lean towards responding, deal with it. And exactly because it's a fear and stress uh, response that we have at the time, the hormones that get produced in our system all point towards deal with this fast. So this is what your body is going to tell you at the moment. You need to deal with this fast and get over with it. So to say, uh, to decide to slow down is very counterintuitive to what our body would tell us because we are survivalistic creatures in the end of the day. But that's yeah. why I think awareness and sharing and topic talking about those issues help because at least we give us a chance in that moment to think, wait, 
there is a possibility that this is fishy. So, and I have heard somewhere that there is a way to deal with it and I'm going to give it that chance. I'm going to give myself that chance to, to, to breathe for a few seconds and think. Yeah. I, I I'm reading a book right now and it's a fiction book, but it's a, you know, it's a thriller and um, it's interesting because it's a, there's a military connection in there and he's talking about breathing and slowing down mm-hmm. and how he can see it in other people that they're doing the exact opposite. And he knows yeah. while they're doing the exact opposite, he can slow down and be able to re- react better. So it's fascinating to me. I, it's a cheesy That's thriller huge. book, but it's all about breathing. And I have a friend who talks about um, breath work for lawyers in trials the slowing down. Wow. Yeah. So the slowing down because the jurors are watching you. And if they see that you are, you know, gulping and racing, they're going to get tense too, because we notice people's breath and how they're breathing. It's it's kind of fascinating. That so. It is fascinating. I was about to say, what is that? I want that resource. <laughs> oh, Okay, I'll send it to you. Um, Somehow I feel like I want to take a look into your bookcase. Oh my God, it's huge. I like, it's huge. And you can't really see it. um, Bookcases. I have three shelves, and one shelf is fraud, another shelf is fraud, and then the bottom shelf is books by colleagues that my friends that have written books. So I have a whole um, section of books that. I know people have written. So whenever someone writes a book, I buy it and it goes on my bookshelf. So, yeah. So if you were ever to share a a Twitter thread, a next thread with your book recommendations, I would be very interested to see what's in there. Oh, just an idea. Just an idea. Oh, okay. I'm showing you my most recent one. I got signed Money Men by Dan. Did you read this? This is about the Wirecard scandal. In okay, Germany, yeah, where? I watched the documentary. Yeah, and, and it's signed. It. I know, Aww. I'm so excited. So yeah, money <laughs> men. Um, yeah, so as we're wrapping up here, wh- what sort of advice do you want to give to someone either who wants to get into cybersecurity or OSINT or um, just like maybe uh, one of your favorite resources that you... I mean, I know I have like one of my favorite resources for behavioral sciences, Dan Ariely's um, Predictably Irrational. Yeah, that's nice. Predictably Irrational. Whew. Yeah, that's a very nice resource. Um, so uh, we have OSINT, we have cybersecurity, and we have uh, social engineering and behavioral sciences, three separate topics here. Uh, for cybersecurity, there are a lot of resources on how to get started, to be honest, and a lot of uh, blog posts. So, and there are also many different areas that you can specialize in. So I would say just Google that part because it depends on which area you would like to follow. However, for open source intelligence, I would recommend uh, Michael Basel's book, OSINT Techniques, for example, reading it and experimenting with the techniques for, you know, research yourself if you want to have a target, research your own company and vulnerabilities on your company. 
and then get involved with the community. For example, there are little catch the flag uh, competitions and challenges that get you to train and exercise on the skills you learn, but you also get to meet very interesting people from the community once you interact in those challenges with others. And I would definitely, definitely recommend, ah, why didn't I say this earlier? Conferences, conferences like the OSINT Summit from SANS, conferences that talk about open source intelligence and social engineering and cybersecurity. Generally, look at what is in your area. By the way, this is how I started getting uh, to, well, this is how I started to speak. I went to a local meetup that was a Munich security meetup and I participated at the, at the talks there. I participated as an attendee and then I was invited as a speaker just, you know, in a friendly space to share my own experiences. There are the B-sides events that are for free and they collect a lot of interesting people. Uh, there is a community feeling this, uh, if you're interested in cybersecurity, definitely go to your local B-Sides event. Um, yeah, what else? Anyway, let's start from that. If you want to go into open source intelligence or cybersecurity and then for behavioral science, I like Chase Hodges, <laughs> as you saw from the book. I don't know if it's pronounced differently. Come on. Yep. So he has the too. he has the ellipses manual, which is a very interesting book. He has other resources you can find on Amazon. Uh, Joe Navarro was amazing in describing body language and how it works, how we perceive body language, and how it gets expressed. Uh, well, I'm going to say one really basic right off the top is following you. Thank you. <laughs> I get to share a few things on OSINT, on cybersecurity and uh, social engineering every so often. I, I like to share. I think we need that sharing. Yeah, I definitely Thank do. Thank you for the shout out, Kelly. <laughs> Appreciate oh, it. I, this is honestly like this is my pleasure, my honor. I can't. Uh, yeah. I just, I want to thank you so much. I hope both you and I over the holiday season, we can get a lot of reading done and listening to things. And um, I'd love to have you back. And hopefully I'm going to meet you at a conference in person. I would love to. That would I be think wonderful. we would have a, a lot to talk about. Thank you so much, Christina. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome.